Wednesday the 27th of September 2017. This morning, great excitement. It is Carla's birthday and she is 22. In our family, we have a tradition which we practice very early in the morning, every time there is a birthday. The night before, all the presents that family and friends have given are scattered on the rug before the ready-to-be-lit fire in the drawing room. The birthday girl or boy is wakened up and paraded down the stairs to the joyful singing of a family of happy birthday. Not always in tune, but always in love. When reaching the drawing room, usually the two youngest take turns to hand to the birthday celebrant one of the presents. She or he is then given breakfast and made a huge fuss of. Birthdays are very special in our house, as I am sure they are for everyone. Because we are such a large family, there is always a birthday, mostly one a month. And in August, there are three. Jaunty's on the 8th, Leah's on the 11th, and Davis is on the 18th. These follow in quick succession. Marshall's, which is on the 20th of July, all summer holidays, all summer birthdays. Everybody is making, doing or baking in celebration. After breakfast, sadly, Carla had to go to work for the rest of the day. Wouldn't it be wonderful if everyone had their birthday off school or work and it was mandatory? The children's tutor arrived for their morning of maths and classics and she brought with her an amazing game whereby they could make mechanical clocks. It was an aid to learning to tell the time correctly. I then quickly made some flapjacks from a very old Cranks recipe book that I treasure. It is made using black treacle but I'm sure that you could use molasses instead which is even healthier. After my Wednesday morning group, I set about inventing a recipe for a vegan cake. David works, as I have said before, for the Sue Ryder charity. He is the social worker at the local hospice and he chose to work there because he wanted to work in the local community with local people. He is very involved in palliative care and end-of-life arrangement and he is a bit of an expert on human rights and the Mental Capacity Act. He loves his work and is absolutely committed to a Sue Ryder home. Every Friday, the staff of doctors, nurses, therapists and spiritual advisors, including David, the social worker, have a coffee break called Tafika from a Scandinavian custom. I think it is David's turn to provide the cakes and for me to make them. Hence the flapjacks, and this afternoon in their cookery class, the two young ones, or nippers, as David affectionately calls them, and I are going to make the vegan cake in their cookery time. I decided to first of all look at the fundamental differences from standard cake making by looking at some vegan recipe books and using some of the advice I would adapt one of my own recipes, and this is what we finally did. Chocolate vegan cake for fika morning. 12 ounces of Vitalite vegan spread. 12 ounces of sugar. 12 ounces of self-raising flour. 250 mils of warm water. 1 teaspoon of bicarbonate of soda. 1 teaspoon of cider vinegar. 2 dessert spoons of cocoa powder vanilla essence, 
And for the filling and frosting, strawberry jam, vanilla flavoured frosting made with Vitalite and icing sugar, chocolate flavoured frosting made with Vitalite, icing sugar and cocoa, cream the Vitalite and sugar together until light and creamy, add vanilla essence, add flour bicarbonate of soda to the mixture and stir. Gradually add the warm water, cocoa powder and vinegar until it becomes a dropping consistency. Divide up into two greased and lined sandwich tins and bake until firm to the touch at 160 approximately. When cooked and cooled, beat up the vanilla frosting. Spread the jam over the bottom layer and some of the vanilla frosting on top. Sandwich the two cakes together. Add cocoa to the rest of the vanilla frosting and smooth over the assembled cake. And just before serving, dust with white icing sugar through a sieve and place a washed and dried fresh rose from the garden in the centre. A pink rose looks best or a group of calendula marigolds. Both of these flowers are edible and so they are safe and so much better than artificial decoration. I often put these in summer salads along with nasturtiums, flowers and leaves. Yum! I have to say that the cake looks lovely and tastes good. We know that because we made some fairy cakes with the same mixture just to be able to test them. My only fear is that the cake may not hold together with the absence of eggs. We shall see. It is in the fridge and David will be taking it for everyone to eat on Friday. I sincerely hope that it, it is still in a cake shape. Johnty and Rosie were very disappointed that after all the effort that they had put into their cookery class, they had to give their cake away. Very good for their soul. As the day became evening and dusk began to fall, so the rain came down in sheets just as well that I had gone to our allotment as I had planned to. However, Carla did ring me asking if I would pick her up from work. It was 7.30 in the evening and quite dark by now and I knew that the visibility would be poor and yet I could not leave her to struggle home. Catching two trains in what was by now torrential rain, especially as it was her birthday. The drive both there and back was horrendous and because the visibility was so poor I missed two turnings which made the journey longer than it should have been. When we finally reached home it was almost bedtime and there were two very bedraggled pussycats sitting on the doorstep. I haven't told you very much about our two wonderful little cats Teddy and Eddie. Davy calls them Edward and Tedward. They are brothers, twins in fact, but are completely different in appearance and, and in character. Teddy is a very beautiful and very affectionate long-haired ginger cat and at this time of the year he looks very like a miniature lion with his winter fur in place. As soon as I sit down he is upon my lap kneading away at my thighs, which can be very painful until he settles down, curled like a large toffee-coloured ginger meringue. Eddie, on the other hand, is very quick to flight and on the rare occasions that he will settle on you, 
and, and sit on your lap. He is easily disturbed and would jump off and run away. After two, Eddie is the hunter, although amazingly, none of them ever catch birds. I wonder if it is because we encourage wild birds into our garden and feed them regularly. Maybe the cats just accept them as part of the family. They certainly never chase the chickens when the chickens are allowed to run on the grass. Both are gingers and have all the colours of autumn in their coats. They so easily camouflage themselves during the, this glorious season. I never know or can't decide which is my favourite season. So my dear, dear, great-great-grandchildren, I'm going to write four books for you about life through the year in our time. This being the first will be summer into autumn and the second will be autumn into winter. The third will be winter into spring and the fourth will be spring into summer. I truly want to leave you a picture of how family life is in my century and where I can I would like to try to record my memories of a bygone age as well. As I was saying, I really don't know which is my most favourite season because as each one fades and makes room for the next one, for instance, after the long rest of the winter, all in nature, the plants, the animals, humans and trees all rush to greet the spring with the most powerful surge of energy which wells up in us as well from deep inside. I suppose that is how God planned it, to keep us always refreshed and renewed. This weekend has to be chutney making and slow picking, storing a ready supply for the winter. David will be laying the foundations for the new greenhouse and it is with great relief that the shed base is hard and has this weekend has to be chutney making and slow picking, storing a ready supply for the winter. David will be laying the foundations for the new greenhouse and it is with great relief that the shed base is hard and has been successfully completed. The new flower bulbs have yet to go in, but they can go in once all the buildings are up, any time from now to the end of October. On Wednesday, the builders are coming to erect the new large replacement shed and I will be able to start to remove all of the various tools and garden paraphernalia from various parts of the house. It would be wonderful not to have garden forks propped up in the corner of the entrance hall with the karcher, drills and sanders all over the scullery floor. Order would be a little more restored. It is months since we had our fire and we are now beginning to see light at the end of the tunnel. The trouble with new sheds, if they smell like new sheds and they lack the character of all the outhouses as I remember from my childhood, the intoxicating woody earthy tinge with fungi smell of the old wood store, the inside of the shed where tools were kept alongside ancient Victorian garden tools with the smell of iron mixed with a scent of earth left clinging to them when left in a hurry and not cleaned off properly. As a child, I remember very clearly the little overground path that led into the three sheds that on late summer often had red poppies, oxide daisies and bright 
blue cornflowers dancing gleefully each side as the breeze played gently through their delicate stems. Sometimes very early in the morning, one would catch the musky scent of a fox that would whisper to you that one had just passed by. I love that scent, even to this day. I love the secret world that it suggests. And then when you reach the doors of the shed, usually weathered and broken at the bottom, suggesting that some desperately cold creature had tried to gnaw or push its way in on a bitterly cold winter's night, trying to find shelter and refuge. When you finally push the door open, accompanied by a heavy groan from a century or so's rusty hinges, all is quiet, except for the scuffle of some small mouse, desperate to escape your eyes, and maybe the flutter of wings as a small bird escapes through a broken window pane, where it had found a means of entry hours before. The places I most enjoyed looking at were the stacks of lovely old hand-thrown Victorian flower pots of all shapes and sizes, all holding a treasury of snails, every single one of them with a different pattern on their backs in their Fibonacci style the sheer wonder and diversity of God's creation. I would creep towards a pile of musty old potato sacks, knowing for certain that if I slowly and carefully picked up a corner of one of them, something would jump or crawl out, sometimes a tiny frightened mouse, occasionally though, rarely a toad, and always huge, great harvest spiders, who in their desperation to get back in the dark will almost always end up walking up your arm. Even unto this day, I am still the chief spider catcher and remover in this house. I've never been fearful of them. In the winter, where the window panes were missing in the sheds, they were usually the most rewarding sight of all, of a beautifully spun spider's web, which would fill the entire window space and completely covered and sparkling with frost. Or after a rainy night, they would be laden with diamond-like drops of water. If these caught the early morning sun, they would change to emeralds and rubies, then switch to sapphires and amber. I used to sing a song at school when I was a very small child, which I've never forgotten. It goes like this. Daisies are my silver, buttercups my gold. These are all the treasures that the earth beholds. There are other verses which I cannot recall at the moment. When I used to teach in nursery school, I even wrote an extra verse to cover cobwebs and dew. When you are a child, you see so much clearly everything that comes before our eyes and therefore it is so important to expose our children to and point out to them the beauties of this earth that God has given us. David and I are of the same mind in all of this. And we love creation and all that it offers. Our enthusiasm has certainly spilled over onto the children. They cannot wait to show us a new find, and our trips to the woods are looked forward to with great anticipation. This is a lovely poem that David wrote called the Fibonacci Sonnet. In this one life, the only one we try to live, we too have curled into a lover's knot. Where these three strands, a metaphor for strength, of love, of faith, and hope are bound in us. And leave the left hand empty for a sign, and wait on God, 
as if he wasn't there and long for life to fill us to the brim. Oh God, if there were eight days in a week and I could have the last one for my love, our arms would never empty of each other and our lips would only part each other's lips. And every season's sun would feel like summer and 13 moons would guide us through the year.